guys. Welcome back to Commission Impossible. It's only been about a couple of years, right, Ryan? It feels like it's been a very long time. It's been a while, yeah. yeah I'm glad to be back here. We, we have a lot more questions to go over. We, we don't really have like much of a show agenda. We're just going to go over some more questions that you guys had because you keep bringing a ton of great questions and we get a lot of great response and we like answering them and we feel like answering these questions can help people in the leagues that they're in. So I think tonight I'm going to start off talking about SMB scoring a little, Scott Fishbowl 7 scoring a little, because there are a lot of people that question why I have removed PPR for this year, because there are a lot of PPR fans. I'm one of those. So I am. I know you're going to discuss the scoring, the changes you've made, the differences from last year, along with your reasoning. And I can't wait to hear this. <laughs> well, I think I've I've come come along the lines of the the Andy Barons, Jake Seeley, Jody Smith, uh, Liz Loza type of John Paulson. Like they've written articles that have really shaped the way I think about PPR. The way I see a a three point catch should not be worth a thirteen yard run, in my opinion. However, I'm completely cool with everybody playing what's enjoyable to them. And the more I think about it, I don't detest PPR. I don't think it's I don't think it's a very reflective scoring. I think it's very positionally biased towards wide receivers, but it's also really fun, right, Ryan? Like you look at the game centers, you see seven catches, eighty yards. You can do that math in your head, you know, and it's it's really fun. Yeah, I saw a little bit of this discussion earlier on Twitter, and I guess I would say I am very pro PPR. Yep. Um, <laughs> I was really thinking about why, like, why do I enjoy that format over, over the alternative? And I mean, I guess it is just the high scoring games. It it does lend to more value for the wide receiver position, but I'm okay with that. I guess along with quarterbacks, they're the players that are around the league. (laughs) Well, yeah, really they're, they have the longest careers. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, uh, in recent years at least. So I'm okay with them being valued a little bit higher or scoring more than running backs. But, um, you know, I I also appreciate your point of view, especially the idea that you're not trying to change the, you know, change the whole fantasy football world. If you want to play PPR, play PPR. If you don't, don't. Yep. PPR is not going to go away. In fact, it might become more of the industry standard than standard, but there is this, this groundswell out there. Um, as far as SFB is concerned, I might go back. Last year's scoring was pretty universally loved and talked about. And uh, Well, I was just going to say that it, it was. I remember that being um, one of the sentiments that came from SFB last year was just – that you had nailed the scoring system. Everybody seemed to be in favor of that and, and supportive of that. So that was, that was another reason I was surprised you would make a change. I knew I was going to make at least some change because I do every year. And I, wa- I didn't want people to look at last year's, you know, how last year's teams did last year's scoring and, you know, just go off of that. I want people to like refresh and, and try to think for themselves this year, I went standard scoring with points per first down for rushing and receiving, and tight ends get 2.5 points per first down. So if Kelsey gets four first downs, 
That's 10 points, which is just insane. I think the biggest thing I wanted to do was introduce the fantasy world to points per first down that I don't think that a lot of people play or even know exists or, you know, have even considered it. I wanted to introduce them to that. And I also wanted to give people a chance to, you know, see a league without PPR, try to, try to, we're so used to drafting PPR that I wanted to see how the industry reacted to having to draft without PPR involved. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to give it a shot. I've, I've never played in a points per first down league. I don't know. Is there a, is there an easier way to say that? Well, PP1D is what okay. I use. Yeah. Uh, I've never played in one of those leagues, so I am uh, looking forward to the challenge. It, it will certainly change <laughs> draft boards and uh, cheat sheets and things like that. Uh, I think we'll, we'll probably see that reflected. Hopefully we see that reflected in, in some of the mock drafts that uh, have already started. We're a few months away from SFB, but the, the mock drafts are already out there going on, which is which is just really cool <laughs> it, to see. It is so cool. Um, I don't know I, how many minds are going to be changed with this, and I, I may just go back to something closer to last year's scoring, but at least I'm giving people a chance to see it in action and a chance to – not just a chance, but I, I want to see people react to it. I, I want to see how how people handle it. Have you had anyone that has participated in the past, I guess, who has stepped away or, or basically quit <laughs> quit SFB because of the PPR change? No, none. Okay. Um, I have, a, I have had... Can uh, I be the first? <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have had a few drop out that did play last year, but it was for completely separate reasons. Yeah. I, I get the set, I've gotten the sentiment a couple of times. Okay, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> and I think you might even be in that boat. I don't know if I am or not, really. It's, it'll be, I like, you know, I like the challenge. It will be something different. I've, I've obviously played non-PPR, but it's been a few years. So, <laughs> yeah, it will, be, it will be a challenge. SFB was already a challenge just due to volume, if nothing else. And I know the volume is increasing, the scoring change. This, this will continue to be the biggest challenge for any fantasy player who gets the chance to participate. Yep. Yep. And if you are worried about that points per first down, don't worry. I change this thing up every year. Who knows what next year will happen? A possible idea for next year came from James Coe in an article on NFL.com. And his article basically was about making one QB leagues relevant again. He's, he's not a fan of Superflex, And there's a lot of them, a lot of people out there that are not fans of Superflex. And his article basically, for example, in his article, he he just said, let's go with a 6-4 scoring. And he had a nice easy E reference in there, you know, cruising down the street in his 6-4. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, six points per touchdown, negative four points for an interception, turned Aaron Rodgers at was QB1 and Blake Bortles, you know, a guy who throws interceptions and he's not, he's not very good, <laughs> was QB9 last year. But in his in that system, Bortles sinks all the way down to QB sixteen because it's more top heavy and it, it really pays off for the good quarterbacks in that system. And then he throws in QB rating, which puts Blake Bortles all, all the way down to QB seventeen. 
And get this, Aaron Rodgers scored 463 points in that system, Blake Bortles 253. So there's a 200-point difference in his system between a good quarterback and you know a not very good quarterback. Whereas our normal systems have those two a lot closer together, but much more bunched together, like four points per game difference at, at the most. Uh, I was wondering what you thought of that, Ryan. What do you, if this became pretty standard, would you would you embrace the one quarterback leagues again? Do you like superflex, or do you, do you think this would be a nice median? Uh, first of all, I, I love superflex. Me too. Just for the record, I, I do love superflex. But if I do have to play QB one, this is interesting. It is for sure. I actually think superflex is a pretty good compromise in that you can still start one quarterback. So if you are strapped on, on a bye week you can start that additional receiver running back. Uh, so I think, I think Superflex is, is a good meet in the middle point. Now, with that being said, I like James's idea of tinkering with the scoring in order to grow the gap between the, the quarterbacks that we know are elite Rogers and breeze and Brady and luck. And, and those guys compared to, Players Bortles. like players like Bortles, who, ha, or has, even Cam Cam last year. Cam last year was not good, right? Know. So I, I like that. The only, I guess, the only issue I would have with that is the factoring in the uh, QBR. The only because it's tough when you're watching. It's well, tough, I'm not even. Yeah, I'm not even sure. I mean, I don't know how to figure QBR. I don't think the average fantasy player knows how to figure Q, QBR. So it would just be a question of what really goes into that. Where's this, where's can the I, score coming from? Can I throw another option instead of QBR sure. completion percentage? I I've, you can easily look at a game center and see a guy's, you know, 20 for 29 and, and be like, okay, that's, that's nice. You know, divide that up. Maybe, maybe you set your scoring. So it's, you know, you'd have to configure the scoring a little bit, but maybe completion percentage instead. But I don't know that you need it. The six four seems to do most of the work. For some of the same reasons that I like PPR, I like six point quarterback passing touchdowns. So do I. Over the years, I the last couple of years, I've really moved that way too. I don't know why. I just do. It just feels right. Yeah, I think here's one other thing I wanted to bring up about it because I was thinking about this in two QB leagues and super flex leagues quarterbacks are impossible to trade for they're they're just so difficult and in one qb leagues they're not even tradable because they're just such a joke i wonder if this scoring in a in a in either a super flex league or a one qb league would be a little more trade conducive you know because you'd really want to push for one of those top guys and the and the lower guys wouldn't be as valuable I, i'm not sure how that would work but i think that spent making that range wider i think would make trades a little easier to happen i would think so i was i was actually talking with our buddy jeff miller earlier tonight uh, about ending up with top quarterbacks across all of our leagues mm -hmm. and on all of these rosters we have rogers or luck or cam or um whoever the the top russell wilson um and then Mariota and winston kind of being put into that group but his he he was just saying i don't know how i keep ending up with these top quarterbacks that don't especially value the quarterback position more than <laughs> anyone else. And, and the answer is, I, I think just because they're so cheap, they're so easy to acquire mm -hmm. easier than they should be. So yeah, I kind of like James's idea there.
Yeah, and just something for people listening to possibly James Coe, look up the article, let me get the title, is Reviving the True Value of the Fantasy Football QB by James Coe on NFL.com. I've tweeted the link a few times. Otherwise, you can just Google all of that stuff I just said and probably find it. I, I encourage any commissioner, or even if you're a league member and are thinking about something for the quarterback position in your league, that's I find that interesting. Let's move on to a few questions. Let's, uh, let's see how many of these we can get through. Okay. First question comes from John McCann. He's basically starting a brand new dynasty league that all of the players are brand new to it. And they're walking through the rules and they're unsure. He's unsure how to explain a taxi squad. We've talked about this a few times, you know, on, on the show. He understands it's a practice squad. He, he wants to know, does that mean you can call up those players in season at any time? How would you divert determine availability uh, with, say, a 25-man roster with a five-man taxi? Does that make sense? Can free agents be added to taxi squad at any time? I'm just going to say mine, Ryan, and I think yours, you're about the same. You know, I go five-man taxi. I know Ryan goes eight-man taxi. I only allow rookies and Debbie players. I allow demoting and promoting all off-season as much as you want. doesn't matter. But in-season, you're not allowed to demote players. So that's how I run my taxi squads. You can promote in-season, but you cannot put people from your active down to your taxi squad in-season. Ryan, is that pretty close to you? Uh, yeah, that is that is spot on to what we do as well. John doesn't mention it here, but I'm not sure if he's I'm not sure if this is a contract league he's he's getting into. But this is another discussion we had recently on Twitter with someone who was asking us a question. If you're not in a contract league, I don't really understand why you use a taxi squad. If you want a five man taxi squad, honestly, I would probably just uh, add add five players to your active roster. That gives owners some flexibility. If if you want to chase youth and upside, then then that those are your five players at the end of your bench. If you don't, if you'd rather build a win now team or you just don't value rookies and younger players, then you can you can build your team that way as well. So outside of a contract league, I I just don't really understand why why you have a taxi squad. You know, I actually. I don't know that I can defend that. I think when I saw that on Twitter, I, I was like, I don't really know either. I just, I, we've always used them. We've used them for Debbie players in the past, and then it just blossomed to rookies and Debbie players. Maybe it's partially, you know, to force you to make decisions about players that, you know, if you want to put a rookie down, hey, you can't use this guy in your starting lineup. If you have a full roster of 35 players, you can use those players at any time. Or you can have 30 active and five taxi, and those five taxi are off limits from using in your lineup. I think there's a little bit of strategy play there. But for the most part, yeah, I guess you could just add five spots. You know, the, the only difference is five, you're either adding five spots of players that can be used in season versus five spots that uh, those players can't be touched or can't, you know, touch your starting lineup. So it's kind of hamstringing people a little bit more. Um, I don't, I don't know that there's a good answer of why not why in non-contract leagues, but I use them. I enjoy them. I, maybe it's just a partially a fun aspect. Uh, he doesn't mention contract leagues, so it's good that you did bring that up. I, I guess I, I should add, if you're in a Devi league contract league or not, 
I think that it does make sense to have a taxi squad if you have Debbie players. So that would that would be the caveat, even outside of a contract league. Gotcha. Yeah, I yeah, I can definitely see that. You don't want those players definitely can't be started. <laughs> so let's just put them in a place where they, they won't bother you. All right. Uh, Jared Fosselman had a question. What rule do you institute or what do you do with owners who keep productive rookies on their taxi squad without ever promoting them in order to better their draft position the following year? Note taxi squad spots only hold rookies for that particular season. I think he's talking about, well, I know he's talking about something I did last year on a team. I kept Ezekiel Elliott on my taxi squad in one league nearly the entire season because or no, for about half the season, because I just didn't need him until about halfway through the season. Um, I wasn't trying to tank. I wasn't trying to get a better spot, but I understand the sentiment. And and was that the league you're thinking of? Was that a contract league? Nope. I, I think in in the leagues I run that I've seen this happen, and and Elliot was was the example I was thinking of as well, N- not by me, but by one of the owners in my league. It's a contract league, so the max contract you can give is four years. If you keep Elliot on your bench, basically that gives you an additional year to control his rights. Um, so I, I think it makes sense in yeah. those contract leagues outside of a contract league. It's a little tougher to defend as far as why you would, why you would keep that productive player, um, you know, on your taxi squad and make him unavailable for your, for your starting lineup. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's almost not even subtle tanking at that point. But, you know, the only argument that really can be made is that let's say your active squad is 20 players, 20 players and you have five taxis and you have a guy like Michael Thomas on your taxi squad. Maybe you just maybe your team is terrible and but you like all 20 players on your roster and don't want to drop one of them to pull Michael Thomas up and score points. I think there's a little defense there, but it, I, I get the point. I, in my leagues, I'm generally okay with it, but I, I get how it's kind of gray. Yeah, uh, that, and I think that example makes sense. Uh, I, I guess I would just say again with the, with the contract league thing, if you're not in a contract league with that taxi squad, you're opening yourself up to things like this happening, and therefore I think you just have to allow it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, this one's uh, just a quick one. What do you do when a poll ends in a tie from Adam, Adam Zekas? If everyone is not voted, I would re-vote and require everyone to vote. And then if everyone did vote and you still have a tie, then whatever whatever is at stake does not move forward. So if, exactly. it's, yeah. you know, if it's a rule proposal, that does not change or is not passed. So, yeah, it, it's kind yeah. of a frustrating, frustrating yeah. thing to see a tie. But as long as everyone's voted, you just have to move forward. Yep. For me, a poll and a tie is always a fail. And if it has to have a decision, yeah, exactly. A revote with a mandatory – my leagues have mandatory everybody must vote anyway. But if your league doesn't, that the revote should be a mandatory everyone votes. If you still end in a tie, boy, I think that's just commissioner make the call for the best of the league, right? Yep, exactly. All right, next question. This is Jason Waldman with a trade. Uh, wanted to get our thoughts on it. The guy with the 101 traded 214, 301, and a 2018 first for 201. 
And then two hours later, same two guys traded 414, 501, 614, and 701 for the 214. So basically, he traded away that pick, the 214. And two hours later, he traded back up to get that pick. I can see how it looks kind of shady, but I've seen this so many times. I don't think it's shady at all. I don't think it's necessarily shady. I think it's some really bad value. I'm assuming this is a startup based on the pick numbers. Yeah, yeah. And he's getting what? He's getting um, three of the top 28 and then nothing for uh, nothing until the eighth round. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and he gave up his future first as well. Yeah, that's it's some, in my opinion, poor team management, but it's right. uh, uh, it's not necessarily uh, on face value collusion or, or anything like that. No, I, I suppose, I suppose basically the end result is that he traded 301, 414, 501, 614, 701, and a 2018 first for the 201. Like if you take wash away everything else. And the 201 is already a terrible place to be. To, I mean, that's a terrible pick this year. Like, that's yeah. like Brandon Cooks or. That's 15 overall. In yeah. This I mean, year. yeah. So he basically traded his third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and a first next year for the 201. Wow. That's, I'd say that's iffy, but I've seen too many things like this in the history, in my history of playing that I, I've, I've known people to make a trade and then want to trade back up. And, and maybe they just knew that this guy was a, a trade partner that he could work with. So I, I think it's good. I think it's fine. It's, I think it's terrible, but I, I don't think anything weird is happening there. Yeah, I agree on that one. All right. Larry. Love the podcast, guys. Thanks, Larry. As a commissioner of the league that I play in, is it acceptable for me to publish articles on the league website that talks about strategies to be successful in the league? Examples would be articles that talk about how to exploit league rules to gain advantages or articles that point out sleepers in an oncoming, upcoming draft. He's worried about the league mates, you know, not liking, not pointing out a sleeper that they, that they had or whatever. Oof. Oh, what do you think, Ryan? <laughs> this is <laughs> this is a tough one. Um, first of all, I, I I would appreciate and applaud the active commissioner. Yep. I know before before I started writing for Dynasty League Football or or really doing anything in the industry, I would I would do some things kind of like this. I would do some articles and and share them on the league website and things like that. So. I, I love that part. As far as these specific ideas, I probably would not. I mean, first of all, you, you're the commissioner, but you're also a player in the league. You don't want to mm -hmm. give away too much information as far as your understanding um, of the rules and strategies that you've come up with. Uh, and certainly you don't want to give away any, any player evaluation uh, as far as sleepers and things like that. So I would definitely put some content out there on the website just for the, the good and the enjoyment of the league but I probably wouldn't do this type. Same thing. I would, I love that this is an active commissioner. I love that he wants to do this, but I would focus on, like you said, content that is not, <laughs> not, you know, strategies and sleepers and, and ways to win the league. That's, 
Yeah, I, I think you should focus more on maybe, you know, the previous games that happened, rivalries, upcoming games, I don't know, stuff like that. Maybe that's not as interesting, but for some leagues it is. Uh, I, I'd probably veer away from what you're talking about doing, but, I mean, if your league is fine with it, t- talk to your league. If they're fine with it, then I guess, you yeah, know, go for it. Every league's different. Okay, our next question is from Danny Evers. What are your thoughts on a shallow roster? Ooh, this is an interesting one already. I can see I'm reading ahead. What are your thoughts on a shallow roster, like 16 or 20 roster spots, uh, Dynasty League, where you can trade roster spots? Everyone starts out with 18, and you can trade a roster spot, say, for the upcoming year. So you can trade a you know a first and a roster spot for Dachshund. That way, next year, you have 17 roster spots, and the other team has 19. Do you think it would be fun? And what do you think the impl- you know the possible implications, complications, issues could happen from that? I think it would be very fun, very challenging. Um, I like to make I like to make everything tradable, tradable in my leagues. Um, and I actually did have the question. We do have eight taxi uh, taxi squad spots, and I, and I've had the question in the recent weeks can we trade number of taxi squad, the taxi squad spot? So one team potentially moved to seven and one moved to nine. I actually said no only because in, in those kitchen sink leagues, I feel like I have so much to track as commissioner with yeah. the money and the Debbie spots and, and just different things that we have in those leagues that that would just be one other thing to track and to monitor, to make sure uh, everybody has only filled the spots that uh, that they're supposed to. So uh, I've said no to that, but as a twist in a league, I like the idea. I like doing it with smaller rosters. You know, if you have 30 roster spots, then that rule becomes meaningless. I guess as far as implications, my concern would be, what does that look like in five years when one guy is trading two spots a year just to – to load up and build a super team. And then that super team becomes old and, and his entire roster is 12 roster spots. Now, sometimes rules like that, you can't, you can't go back from. So that, that would be my concern, but I, I love the idea. Yeah. I think you'd almost have to limit it to, you can trade up to three of your roster spots. It's a lot of commissioner hassle. I, I would only do it one year out at a time so that you could do it for the following year but then it resets every year. So I think that's another thing I would probably do. It, it could be fun. I'm just imagining the commissioner nightmare. On this yeah. One. I think you would have to do the resetting part. Yeah. The, another problem is, is waivers. I mean, every league host you do this on, you're going to have to set the, let's say you have 20 man rosters. You're going to have to set everybody at 23 and people are bound to go over on waivers or pickups or t- trades. And you're going to have to really be on them or really have a good group of owners to make sure that people are always in compliance because you're just going to have to set that max roster limit at, at 23 every year. If you're using the three, three player spots tradable, Oof, tough. It, it sounds like a lot of fun, but you're going to have to be a committed commission and have owners that are very good. All right now, Matt Hudson has a question. He's been working on his Dynasty League bylaws rulebook for a while, having a rough time getting everything straight. 
apart from the main points, um, you know, roster scoring, it's the obvious ones. What are some other topics to mention? I'm actually going to answer this really quick for you, Ryan. You, All right. you, sh- you should really go to Ryan's kitchen sink leagues, uh, tweet me or Ryan and we'll, we could probably link you to it and look at his bylaws. I would copy and paste those things and cut out all of the parts that don't apply and, and do a little changing around. But Ryan did a really good job on those kitchen sink rules. They, they have stuff that even my leagues don't, that they, they're very specific. And, uh, I, <laughs> I, I, I can't lie. I have stolen a few parts of those and, uh, reworded them a little for my leagues that they're just very extensive. Yeah. Steal away there. Uh, I, I, uh, I actually usually suggest, uh, well, it depends on what type of type of league you're putting together, but um, the kitchen sink rules are kind of born from the hyperactive rules. Those are a little more standard because kitchen sink is contract and Devi and doubleheader and other things that people may not use in their league. Yeah. Occasionally I will tweet out the uh, a link to the hyperactive rules and uh, everyone is f- free to steal, borrow, use those as you, as you would wish. So I will do that. I will do that soon. Yeah, definitely check those out. All right. Speaking of, you know, your kitchen sink rules and your uh, second chance rules, this one's probably right up your alley. This one comes to us from Joshua Suset. Sukate. How do you think you pronounce that Ryan? I don't, I don't (laughs) pronounce that Joshua S. I'm going to butcher that. Yeah. Joshua (laughs) S. I had a couple of logistical questions about second chance dispersal drafts. What what mechanism, what mechanism do you use? He presumes that most sites don't have that functionality. Do you do it in a, like a Google doc? Do you have owners edit as they make their picks? How far out do you include future rookie draft picks? Wow. He says he allows owners to trade five years out, which I do in two of my leagues. He's tempted to drop it to three. Honestly, I, you know, I've been moving all my leagues to one, believe it or not. I, I, I just, uh, I prefer people only trading one year out because other, I found people just throwing all their picks at the fan to, to win now in leagues. And I got annoyed with it. So I, I drop, I drop, I've dropped all my leagues to one, except for two of them at this point, but tell us about your second chance dispersals. How do you do them, Ryan? Help this guy out. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, I I would drop that five year out, uh, trade rule to three or, or even lower Scott, as you mentioned. Um, I think five years is, is too far. Um, so as far as just the setup of the dispersal drafts, the second chance drafts, I usually do put those in a Google doc, allow owners to edit, edit those picks themselves, just basically put the pick in one column, delete the player from the available player list and go from there. Future draft picks are kind of an interesting one. And I actually break that down round by round. So usually those those drafts are held before the rookie draft. So obviously any current year rookie draft picks uh, are are available to everybody. But then the the future picks, in this case the 2018 picks, I look at again on a round by round basis. So if there are let's say there's three owners in the dispersal draft, the second chance draft, if all three of them still own their first round pick, they keep those picks. 
they're not they're not part of the second chance draft. So then I would move to the second round and let's say one of the owners traded his second round pick to another person not involved. So now there are only two total second round picks. Those become available in the second chance draft. Uh, that just uh, allows the three new owners to build their team how they'd like. Everybody has an equal chance at those draft picks. Um, and, and that's how I handle that. So if you've allowed five years of trading, then that does become very burdensome as, as Joshua said, but uh, that's, I guess that's just another reason to scale that back to three or two years. Yeah, that would be a whole lot of picks to try to put in that dispersal if that was allowed, unless the dispersal they only threw in the, the most current year of draft picks. But if the teams had already traded future draft picks, I think you might have to include all the picks, right? Oh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. That that would be a lot of years of picks to to put in there. I can't even imagine where like the twenty twenty first would go in a, in a in a draft like that. I do it pretty much exactly the same way. No, exactly the same way. To answer the question on the Google Doc or whatever, I do a Google Doc. In years past, I had set up fun little rooms, draft rooms, where there was a drop down and you could you could only pick players or picks that were available. But I realized that that is just far too much work when a Google Doc will suffice, and then you can just simply, you know, upload those onto MFL or you know whatever site you're using. It's just easier that way. Yeah, and one more thing on his question: MFL does have that function, uh, that that capability. Um, you can do multiple drafts uh, each season in MFL. You can, if there's only three or four owners, you can edit uh, draft rounds to pull out all of the other owners who are not participating in the second chance draft. Um, you can do all of those things. It's honestly just easier to do a Google um, a Google Doc and then make trades to adjust the rosters. So here's our final question from Greg V on Twitter. Caps and contract league, how far out should you put switch put a switch to Superflex or 2QB league to allow for people to plan? One year, two years, etc. We've answered this a few times on the show, never about caps or cap leagues or contract leagues. But and, and we'll probably talk a little bit more about how to expand your league or how to you know properly implement this kind of switch, but my rule for regular leagues is two draft cycles in a full season. So if you make the vote, you know, right now, then you draft the rookies, then you play the season, then you draft next year's rookies, and then you then you can start it up. Ryan, do you think that's different for a contract league? Do you think it's longer? Is it maybe shorter? I'm assuming the whole league is on board. Let's assume the whole league is on board in this situation. I think you would have to do longer because you've assuming you've set contracts based on a starting one quarterback, you know? So if I have Drew Brees or Tom Brady or some of those iffy Tyrod Taylor, you know, how long is he going to have a job? Maybe I give them a, a one or two year contract, but if I'm playing super flex or two quarterback, I'm going to risk it, risk it and give them a longer contract. So I think you have to go. I, I love your rule for, for typical leagues, but I think within a contract league, you have to go even further. Here's, I was thinking about this as you're, as you're speaking there. And I was thinking in your typical contract league, I'd say you, you should 
probably you should almost consider going out as far as maybe not as far as the longest QB contract out there, but you know, if, if there's only a couple, if, if most of the QBs are like have three years left on their contract, I would almost consider that it, I, I hate to say it. It feels like a long time, but I think it's definitely got to be at least two years. If not, maybe, you know, tell, you know, where, where you have to renegotiate, you know, quote, renegotiate those QB contracts, knowing that the change is coming. Yeah, it's it, it's honestly probably just easier to start a new yeah. league. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a lot. That's almost always the answer for switching to two QB or for expansion. Uh, it's usually just probably smarter and easier to start a new league. We we as commissioners sometimes have to find ourselves in these situations where the leagues don't want to start a new and they wanna they want to keep their teams, but. Yeah, in this situation, I think Ryan's right. You got to go longer, and I, I would consider taking a look at the average quarterback contract out there, and maybe, you know, some of the, if most of the contracts are two years or three years out, maybe just wait those three years. It, it sucks doing that, but I don't know. Depends on your league. See what your league likes, I guess. Well, we have we've gone uh, we've gone through quite a bit here today on the next episode. We're, we're going to talk about a few things like how to promote people drafting faster in startups. We're going to talk a little bit about how to possibly expand your league. I know that's tough. We have a couple, a couple interesting leagues that people have started. I, w- I want to share those with you to you know just let you know that they're out there and, and maybe you can take some ideas from them. So I hope you like this episode. I hope you like all our episodes. They're kind of evergreen. So go back and listen. But you got anything else, Ryan? Uh, no, not really. I just uh, I loved hearing SFB talk. I need <laughs> to get in a mock and try to figure out what I'm going to do. I think it's just all the quarterbacks. Is that the answer? Yeah, I think it's all the quarterbacks. Anyway, thanks for listening. We should be back within the next couple of years. So keep us subscribed, rate and review us on iTunes. We very, very, very much appreciate it. Listen to all the other awesome podcasts that DLF has going on right now. Uh, Ryan has a new one. Do you want to plug that for a second, Ryan? Sure. We can talk about that. Um, Curtis Patrick and myself are starting a new podcast on DLF called the player Raider podcast. Uh, We are going to just talk about a a few players each episode and really kind of hit on their dynasty value through a lot of the tools that DLF offers, including rankings, including our ADP and uh, the trade finder tool that is uh, still fairly new that I, I love playing with that, finding some trade value from actual real leagues that are out there. And then Curtis also has a new rankings project that he is uh, finishing up that that will be also a big part of the uh, podcast as well. So yeah, we're excited. We're hoping to get started in the next uh, couple of weeks or so. That's that sounds awesome. I can't wait to, to listen to that. I can't wait to check out Curtis's ranking project that man really interested in that. So I guess for myself at Scottfish24 and Ryan at RyanMC23, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Uh-huh.